So we ended last week with, uh, I need that book. We ended last week with the preparation of the gifts. The gifts are brought up. And now, if you're visiting, sorry, I've been doing a series of homilies on the Mass. Uh, we're right at the point where um, the gifts have been received. Uh, we, I invite you to stand. We have the prayer um, over the gifts, which I encourage you to, to pay attention to. It's different every week. That's one of the things that changes every week. And then after that is the preface. And it starts with this dialogue. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. There's this dialogue that's happening. Now that dialogue is between you and Jesus. I am acting in that moment in the person of Christ. And so it is Christ that is speaking to you. Now it's easy because it's that's the same every week for you to, for you to and, and I, I totally understand this, it's so easy to go into autopilot. You all know this because when the translation changed in 2011, it was painful to not, to not say, and also with you. <laughs> Remember that? Right, And you could tell when somebody hadn't been to Mass in a while, and everybody's saying, and you hear an also with you in church, right? Because um, we just kind of like, we get on that. But what is, what is this happening, right? There's this dialogue. Again, Christ is saying, the Lord be with you. I give myself to you. And we say, I receive that, and with your spirit. And then he says, lift up your hearts, now, I don't know about you, but that's a weird phrase. I don't, we can't actually lift up our hearts. We can't go, right? It's like not possible to lift up our hearts. So what, is, what does it mean? When the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions over and over again, he says, it is not time for me to be lifted up. It is not time for me to be lifted up. And he's making reference to the cross. So when the priest says to you, lift up your hearts, he's saying, unite your hearts with the heart of Christ crucified. The heart that was pierced. The heart that was willing to give itself completely and totally for the sake of all of humanity. Lift up your hearts. Your response, we lift them up to the Lord. We give them to him. We sacrifice our very self. And for the Jewish person, for the for in Hebrew, like the understanding of the heart is the core of the human person. So we say, I give my whole self to you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. That's a phrase that everybody uses very often. In conversation, somebody says something that you agree with it. It is right and just. Everybody says that, right? 
No? Okay. <laughs> Are y'all awake? I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. No. Uh, we, we don't, it's not a phrase that we use very often. Or if ever. And the church does that intentionally. Right? Those words have meaning and import. It is right. It is right that he receives all of the thanksgiving because he is deserving of all of it. It is the right thing to do because God has given himself completely to us that we give everything back to him in thanksgiving. But it is also just. What is justice? To give someone their due. What is due God? Every thanks. All of them. Every one of them. So it is right and just that we give thanks to the Lord our God. Now here again, I want to talk about posture. Right, you, you'll see me, right, the, the, the missile says to have the priest's hands extended, which is very vague. And then with the lift up your hearts, it says to... Read the exact words. Raising his hands. I don't know what that means, so I do this. <laughs> and then go back to the extended hands for the last part. Now, you do different things. Maybe because a priest told you to do something. Or maybe because you went into a church or this church and you saw somebody doing it, you're like, that's cool, I like that. Or maybe you felt pressured because you see everybody else doing like, I guess I gotta do this thing with my, I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands and everybody's doing like, what do I do? So here's my suggestion to you. The, the documents don't tell the posture of the congregation in that moment. It tells in other spaces, it tells you to sit, tells you to stand, tells you to kneel. But at that moment, there's no like posture. It doesn't say like for the congregation to do one thing or another. So it leaves it kind of vague. But here's my suggestion. My suggestion is that you have the prayer hands. And the reason for that is that Pope, John Paul, Pope Benedict XVI, Pope John Paul II, today's his feast day, Pope Benedict XVI recommended that whatever posture the, the congregation chooses, that they be in unity. Because there's a symbolic power in everybody doing the same thing. And so I invite you to do this for the, the sheer reason of when we have visitors maybe who haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe you're just uncomfortable in church because they had a bad experience, or at another church, and they're coming here hoping to experience Christ. And they experience something that's different to people that are doing different things with their hands. And like, I don't know if I fit in here. They're doing this thing that I'm not comfortable with. And so I invite you as this sign of radical hospitality, to think of everyone else, to make, if, if this is what you're comfortable with and the moving up and down of your hands, right? To, to suffer that little bit of uncomfortability for their sake. Because really, on the whole of the things, like 
like, that we can do in the Mass, this is not the most important. So that's my invitation to you. And I'll tell you why prayer hands. The prayer hands aren't just like something that we do because, you know, that's what you do. You pray, you put your hands together. Everybody remembers their first communion. Right? Everybody's walking up. This comes from the relationship between, uh, in medieval times, the relationship between the head of the household and his servants. When his servant would come before the head of the household, he would have his hands like this as this act of surrender before the head of the household. And he would do that to say, I put myself under your care. I put myself under your care. And then the head of the household would grab and receive that gift. He would then take his hands and put them over those hands. And that actually still exists within the celebration of the church. If you have the opportunity, which I encourage you to do, to go to a priestly ordination, part of the rite is that we make promises. And one of those promises is obedience to the bishop of this diocese. And after we make those promises, every priest and every deacon kneels before the bishop with his hands like this, professing his obedience, and then the bishop takes his hands and receives it. It's this act of like profound obedience. And so I invite you to, to take up that posture during that preface dialogue. I'm not going to be like, you're not doing this. That's, that's not. Like, if you want to do something else, I'm, I'm not going to be a tyrant about it. But I invite you, as this act of radical hospitality, to like, think about those that are on the fringes. Those that might feel uncomfortable in church. What we can do to make them feel just a little bit more comfortable. And this is a much more neutral position. This position might have great meaning for you. That's awesome, right? It is something that has great meaning. It is a symbol, in essence, of the cross. But I encourage you in that, in that particular moment to, to do that. But again, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna beat over your head because that's not helpful. So let's move on. The preface itself is a prayer of thanksgiving. Is this prayer that giving thanks to the Lord? And they change. There are seven prefaces for the ordinary time. There's three prefaces for Advent. There's another three prefaces for Christmas. There's prefaces for Lent and, and Easter. There's also prefaces for the saints, for the martyrs, and for the apostles, and for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And there's some, some other prefaces. There's prefaces for funerals. Each is directed towards whatever we are celebrating in that moment. So I encourage you to pay attention. I'm not going to go through the preface today because there are other things and they change. But I encourage you to pay attention to the preface. The only thing that I will talk about within that 
is, uh, let's see. Uh, there's too many things here. Um, here we go. Is that at the end of every preface, it always ends invoking the angels to join us. Or rather, if we can join the angels in their praise. And so with the angels and archangels, thrones and dominions. Have you ever heard that and wondered, what is he talking about? The thrones and dominions and powers are choirs of angels. There are seven choirs of angels. The seraphim, the cherubim, thrones, dominions, powers, archangels, and angels. I think that's seven. I was never good at counting. You're very glad that I don't count the money, because <laughs> it would always be off. But we're asking if we can join the song of the angels. With all the hosts of powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. And then we sing, holy, holy, holy. Now that, that holy, holy, holy comes straight out of scripture. Isaiah in chapter, okay, where am I? In chapter four, nope, in chapter six of the, the prophet Isaiah, he has a vision of heaven. And this is what he says. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then St. John on the island of Patmos, when he had this vision of heaven that he described in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, Verse 8, he says, In the four living creatures, day and night, they never cease to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and is, and is to come. So when we sing the holy, holy, the Sanctus, we are singing it with all of the angels in the heavenly kingdom. Now, we might not be able to see them, we might not be able to hear them, but they are present with us. I don't know about you, but that is awesome. That is glorious. It's even more reason to sing, because you know that you'll be drowned out by all the choirs of angels. <laughs> that's glorious and wonderful. But what that's also reminding us is that we are entering into heavenly worship. Something that is beyond this earth. A reminder that we're being drawn into the heavenly kingdom. And by, what's the way that we get there? It's through Christ and the Eucharist. If you eat this bread, you will live forever, he says. If you drink my blood, you live forever. And then after that, the second part of it, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, is this reminder of the song that they sang when Christ entered into Jerusalem on the donkey. They were welcoming the king back into Jerusalem. And we are doing the same. We know that we're marching back up to Calvary. 
and that we're welcoming the king into our hearts and to our lives. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then you kneel. Kneeling is, again, this act of surrender. I want to share with you um, Pope Benedict, when he describes why we kneel at Mass, he connects it to the agony in the garden, to the prayer of Christ the night before he died. Listen to what he says. Jesus prayed on his knees. This prayer, the prayer by which Jesus enters into his passion, is an example for us both as a gesture and in its content. Why is it a gesture? Well, what is he doing? He's saying to the Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, your will be done. It is an act of supreme surrender to him. He lays the human will in the divine. Only when our will rests in the will of God does it become truly will and truly free. So recognizing that Christ is going to come, we bend our knees before him in this act of surrender to him. Because let's be honest, we've tried to do things right. When we try to do things right without the Lord, we fail 100% of the time. If we're really honest. And when we do things right, it's because he has given us the grace. Now, whether we acknowledge that or not is another matter. But every good thing that we do is because he has done it in us. We keep that posture that he is God and we are not. Furthermore, the Hebrew understanding of the knee, the actual physical knee, the knee was the, the symbol of strength. If you had strong knees, you were a strong person to the, in the Hebrew culture. He continues on, the Hebrews regarded the knees as the symbol of strength. To bend the knee, therefore, is to bend our strength before the living God an acknowledgement of the fact that we all that all we are we receive from him that's why we kneel is to put ourselves in that space of surrender so that we can properly receive him to put our bodies to orient our souls isn't that cool have you ever thought about kneeling in that way I hadn't until I read that. There are brains all over that book. Anyway. Man, either my jokes are really bad or... They're just really bad. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> if you would like to follow along, we're going to go with the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. That is on page 90 in today's Missal. If you want to look at the words... Okay, so then you're kneeling. I'm gonna, there are multiple Eucharistic prayers. 
There's four regular Eucharistic prayers, there's two prayers of reconciliation, and there's a host of other ones. The one that I've been using over the past few weeks, because I've been going long on my homilies, I've been using the shortest one, which is Eucharistic prayer number two, which is the oldest one. That was the one that was used in the first few centuries. But the one I'm going to go through is the one that has the most content to kind of describe what it is that the priest is praying during that moment, and that's Eucharistic prayer one. So he starts, To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Again, this recognition that everything that we pray is through Christ. When we pray, Christ is praying through us. We get to participate in his sonship. That you accept, and I do this first epiclesis, this calling down of the Holy Spirit, and bless the gifts. That you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices. Notice, it says sacrifices, not sacrifice. Right? You have the sacrifice on the altar, but remember last week, all of your joys, all of your sufferings are being sacrificed as well. And by Christ, they are made holy and unblemished. He purifies your gift. Y'all, receive that in freedom. You might feel like you don't deserve him. You might feel like whatever you give is going to be incomplete. And it is. But that's okay because Jesus makes it complete. Like, there's such freedom in that. We want to try to be perfect and do all this thing to be perfect. We don't need to be perfect. He will make us perfect. This is wonderful. This is so freeing. This is what I love about being Catholic. So we don't need to come perfect. We're a messed up church with messed up people, with stupid desires. And we constantly are making mistakes. And what he does is here in the sacrifice of the Mass, he purifies it all and makes it holy and unblemished. Oh. Praise the Lord. Which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. This, this act of intercession for the sake of the church. We're praying for the whole church. So think about that. At every Mass, all throughout the world, you are being prayed for. Every hour of every day, in every time zone, multiple masses, at the same time, the church is interceding for you. You are never alone. The church is always there with you. Oh, that's good to hear too, because evil wants to go. You're alone, you've been abandoned. Look at you. Wants us to play this pity party. But the church says, no, you are mine, and I will love you, and I will connect you with the greatest thing that has ever happened so that you may be free. Oh. 
Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her. Notice, who are we asking to guard, unite, and govern her? Not the Pope. God the Father himself is the one who guards, unites, and governs the whole church. It is the Holy Spirit that animates the life of the church. No bishop, no pope, no priest can destroy that. That's also really <laughs> consoling. Because let's be honest, we're not all, none of us are perfect in the clergy. We fail. God's greater than our brokenness. And he guards, unites, and governs the whole, whole of it. Throughout the whole world, together with Francis, our Pope, we pray for the Vicar of Christ here on earth, and Gregory, our Bishop, our Apostle, the one that God has called to take care of us and to lead us closer to Christ, to be a witness of Christ in this particular area. And all those who holding to the truth who hand on the apostolic faith. That's you. That's you. Woohoo. Okay. Then it continues Remember, Lord, your servants. And at that point, the priest usually should pause. And at that moment is the opportunity for all of us to remember all of the people that we want to remember who are still alive that we want to bring to this Mass and to this sacrifice. Those who aren't in church here, those who are far away from you, those who are struggling, the families of the people that were murdered in the French Quarter last night, Israel, all of it, we can bring to the Lord that he purify them. Remember, Lord, your servants and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. He knows how much you love him. For them we offer you the sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them. Why, why do we offer the sacrifice? For the redemption of their souls, right? So that we may be saved in hope of health and well-being, that we may be strengthened in this life and paying their homage to you, the eternal God living and true. Because God deserves all praise. And the best praise and gift that we can give him is himself in Christ back. And then we ask the whole church in heaven to pray for us in communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, and then, this is, this is called the Roman canon. There's two parts to this. We'll talk about the first part this week, the, the other part next week. But this recalls the early saints of the church and the fact that they're all praying for us right now. Peter, Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, the apostles. And then the first four popes, actually the first four popes and then another pope. Linus. Didn't know that was the name of a pope, did you? The second pope's name was Linus. Yeah, that's where, they, that's where um, Charles um, Schultz took that name. No? Okay. Cletus, 
There you go. That, that, that name, before it was a name <laughs> that was connected to, I don't know, Cletus. Hey, Cletus. Uh, was the name of the, the third pope. Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius. And then we talk about some of the theologians of the early church. Cyprian, Lawrence, was a deacon. He was the deacon of, of Cornelius. Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas and Damien. Again, the, the male early char- the martyrs of the church in Rome. And all the saints. All the saints. That means your patron saint. The saint by which you were named. The saint of the church that you were baptized in. Are all interceding for you and are with you as we celebrate this Mass and every Mass. We ask that through their merits and prayers, because they're already in heaven, they're already purified, they're already before the throne of God. In all things, we may be defended by their protecting help. And the priest continues, Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation. Oblation is another word of sac- for sacrifice. It's not like the thing that they do to, to stop arrhythmia. Graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. We ask that we receive the fruit of the gift of our baptism, the heavenly kingdom. And that the way that we get here is through his, his body and his blood. And then the priest will extend his hands over, and at that moment the bell starts ringing. That's because something big's happening. The priest is calling down the Holy Spirit to sanctify this gift and your gift. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot that I just covered. I encourage you as we continue on into the liturgy, choose whatever the thing that hits you. Like dwell on that as we pray the Eucharistic prayer. I also want to encourage you. I'm going to pray Eucharistic prayer too, which is a lot shorter and has a little bit different format. Notice the things that I talked about, right? Intercession for the whole church. That, that offering that happens. Notice where those are in the prayer. But most of all, don't be afraid to make your offering to God, to let him purify it. Let him make it holy. If we allow him to do that, we will become the saints that he created us to be. He wants you to be a saint. We need more saints from Marrero. I can't wait to hear so-and-so, Saint So-and-so of Marrero. Can it be awesome? We gotta let him do it. <laughs>